I, I think you have to ask your customers, okay. why do they buy from you? Okay. And okay. that will help guide you. I think it was, I even Wolf Schmidt Vodka, where okay. they actually um, took a look at the market and realized in the United States, people didn't really know a lot about vodka. I mean, they drank it, but they didn't, they did not really, the average consumer did not know the difference between a good vodka and a mediocre vodka. And so for a lot of them, the signal that this was a good vodka was that it was higher priced. And so they pulled the product off the market, reintroduced it, introduced it at a higher price and sold more. Sold more. Because because the price communicated this was a good vodka. Your brand is what people say about you when you're not in the room. And I think that you need to figure out what you want people to say and then figure out how you create marketing to get them to say that well the the big question of course with user-generated content is why why bother and the answer is because there is a level of authenticity that your users will create that you just can't replicate hi uh my name is ahi and i am an e-commerce retention expert so i welcome you all to this uh, podcast and uh, uh, in this we have with us uh, uh, Lauren. So Lauren Ball is a marketing strategist and successful entrepreneur, author and professional speaker. She has been in for into podcasting for 13 plus years and enjoys sharing her experience in marketing with the uh, uh, like with the audience and uh, earlier she was in corporate America in bureaucracy. However, she made a decision to switch gears and pursue her passion to help small businesses owners succeed in their uh, marketing. And uh, uh, hi, Lauren. So, uh, hi. If you can, hi. So, uh, just uh, as we are recording, we are at the end of the year. So, if you can give me, like, uh, what's your prediction for next year and uh, top three trends uh, you feel uh, which will be coming up next year in marketing, like, uh, mainly for marketing. Absolutely. So, you know, 2023 was a really interesting year with the advent of AI and everybody, ChatGPT coming online and everybody starting to play with it. And I do not think that 24 will be as chaotic, but I do think you're going to see more thoughtful integration of AI into marketing. I think most marketing professionals are now figuring out how and where it is appropriate to use it. And the successful marketers are going to balance original content with AI. And I think that is definitely the trend you're going to see more and more. Um, I think a lot of people thought, oh, well, I'll just have AI write my blog posts in 23. And what they realized is the posts didn't do very well, that the content was very generic, it was boring, and it was getting ignored. The smart marketers have definitively gone, I'm going to use AI, but I'm going to use it selectively. I'm going to give it one of my blog posts and maybe ask it to write some new titles or break it up into an outline or short summaries. And I think you're going to see more of that. The second trend that I think is really interesting is a return to text. You know, everybody is focusing on video, 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 and and there's definitely a place for that. 
But we are we are really seeing this return to longer text-based posts in social media. Um, and a lot of that is driven by the platforms that are now really rewarding and creating this culture of zero click. Okay. In other words, if you have a link in your content back to your blog, yeah. your visibility is going to be significantly less. And yeah. even if you create the the blog and or the article and um, you uh, like uh, put it in the comments, it's really yeah. still going to be, I think, a little bit um, derated versus just putting the content on the platform and building the authority on the platform because that's definitely... Okay. Where, where the market is going. Okay, okay. Yeah, text, uh, that's quite unusual. Like, uh, so that's a, but uh, it makes sense. It makes sense uh, at uh, so many places. And uh, I think with text, uh, the skimmability, like you can skim the content, you can like uh, get the gist uh, out quickly compared to a video. Mm -hmm. post. So video is like, uh, you have to consume the whole video or like uh, find some way. So yeah, text is a interesting trend. Uh, I like the third one, like third uh, trend from your perspective. Um, one more. Uh, I think that, you know, as, as you're looking at the market and looking at where are people going, okay. obviously video is, is going to be there. I think yeah. there's going to be more emphasis on what I call the point of origination where okay. a lot of people are foolishly creating video just for TikTok or just for Instagram or whatever their platform of choice is. Yeah. And there is no cohesion. And again, I think you're starting to see smart marketers go, no, the website needs to be point of origination. Okay. And then from there, you take excerpts you you start with long form and break it up into lots of short form where i think people had been doing more let's just create um content repurpose content and get it and get it everywhere and now what they're saying is no you've got to you've got to be more strategic you've got to start with um the long form content on your website and then break that up. Yeah. No, no makes sense. Makes sense. And uh, I think uh, in our uh, perspective also, like uh, the long form content, like long articles and long videos uh, have that uh, like origination, point of origination or like uh, originality to it. And then um, uh, like you can always break down and repurpose the content and like make it shorts or make it like a small post or like a thread or those kind of things. So uh, original content always helps and original research will always be, I think, uh, long form. Like you can't do original research in 60 seconds. So I think, uh, uh, yeah. I think there's, I think there is a place for both. And I think yeah. that um, it is, it's not impossible to go the other way. I've done that with short blog posts where you build them into um, like a book or a resource, but okay. it is much easier to do it the other way, to start with the long yeah. form and break it up. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh, makes sense, makes sense. And uh, 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 next uh, on 
your expertise like uh, given your expertise on user generated content so uh, i wanted to go like uh, because when we talk about user generated content uh, as a business owner also and as an agency owner like we face three issues one is like how you get it out like uh, because you are not in charge like you need to mm-hmm. get that done from the customers so that's a tricky part second is how you like uh, package it or how you use it to your like to max uh, uh to your benefit and then there is always a negative how you handle the negative perception so so if you can start with like how we get can get high quality user generated content generated and then like how we repackage and how we like promote it so absolutely well the the big question of course with user generated content is why why bother and the answer is because there is a level of authenticity that your yeah. users will create that you just can't replicate. They will say things in their words and how they describe something that you may never have thought of. And so yeah. the challenge is how do you collect it? Yeah. And it is surprisingly easy because people people participate in social media for a lot of reasons, but one of the big ones is ego. They want to be noticed. And so if you throw a question out on social media or you run a small contest, it doesn't even have to have a big prize. People will participate if part of the prize is visibility for their content. Um, I don't know if he does it anymore, but Jimmy Fallon here in the U.S. on The Late Show used to throw out a question every now and then on Twitter. And it'd be a silly question. But he would read some of the answers during the live broadcast later that night. And so people would tell their stories hoping that he would pick their story. And so just that positive reinforcement goes a long way to cultivating content. You can also run contests. Lay's Potato Chips does this. They run a contest where you select or you suggest a potato chip flavor. And then they have voting where people vote on their favorite, you know, the one that sounds good. And then they actually manufacture your flavor and they do a story about you and it's your picture. And I don't know, there may be a cash prize. But I will guarantee you that people are doing it because they want to be able to say that flavor of potato chip, that was my idea. And so when you can create contests that allow people to share their opinion, share their experiences, and maybe give them an opportunity to point back to it and say, that was me. I did that. It's it's incredibly powerful. And uh, uh, with that, uh, uh, because we mainly work with e-commerce brands. So when you said about like uh, branded hashtags, so how, um, because some brands are able to build a movement around their uh, niche, like uh, Warby Parker has been able to do that, like uh, with a successful mm-hmm. hashtag. And there is one, uh, like, uh, I think there is one uh, yoga company, which does a very good, uh, this thing, I'm forgetting the name, but uh, so they have a very big branded uh, hashtag which everyone use like yoga life or hard life or anything mm-hmm. like that. Uh, 
बट फॉर मोस्ट ऑफ द ब्रांड्स इट्स वन हैशटैग वन दे डोंट ओन एनी हैशटैग सॉर्ट ऑफ सो व्हाट्स योर टेक अराउंड दैट लाइक वेल फर्स्ट ऑफ आई थिंक यू नीड टू डू योर होमवर्क आई थिंक यू नीड टू फिगर आउट इफ योर ऑडियंस इज यूजिंग अ हैशटैग and okay. you know where are the conversations take a look at what your competitors are doing but more importantly take a look at what your customers are doing when okay. they're sharing content are they sharing the hashtag um and then again starting and igniting a hashtag with a contest is a really good way to get the ball rolling yeah. creating an incentive hey yeah. we're looking for people and and Warby Parker does this really well where they they look for people wearing their sunglasses telling yeah. us stories with your product yeah. we worked for um there it's funny it's a little company that makes um beans uh navy beans cannoli beans kidney beans okay. in yeah. glass and they sell them in glass jars and okay. we built quite a following by asking people to take photographs of dishes they made using, using the product and okay. so you know part of it is um being able to give people a reason to share and then again hey the only way we're going to see your content is if you use this hashtag yeah. yeah the other thing on social media and i think companies that do this well yeah um understand that a little bit of fun Yeah. you know is is important the um the united states their national park service yeah. uh has the funniest instagram and twitter feed they love doing photographs of animals yeah. in the wild yeah. but really doing some just you know cute funny and then in between they have just um these really funny little one liners i think that probably started on twitter yeah. and having a little bit of fun builds yeah. builds the momentum if you're serious it's not going to fly on social media it may fly in your business it may fly in the real world yeah. but people don't come to twitter yeah. or x or whatever it is yeah. now or yeah. instagram yeah. they don't come there for serious they come there for fun yeah like wendy's take keep on taking a uh, dig at like uh, uh, mcdi or those uh, so so those kind of uh, you want that kind of like cola not cola like cola war is not there prominently on twitter i guess but like wendy versus uh, mcdi they think all this thing there so absolutely you know the little bit of good natured um uh Trolling. you'll see it some of the candy bars go back and forth um yeah. and yeah. uh it's always funny like cuz Wendy's again they're an example of a company yeah. i think that's very good on social media yeah sometimes they will say something to someone else who will just snap back at them and be really funny yeah and then yeah. you have other times where they say something and the company doesn't have anyone on their social media team who gets yeah. it and who understands yeah. how to respond yeah. and the response is just flat yeah yeah yeah, yeah. so okay okay so now this is uh, how we get them to generate like how should how far should we go to promote this like because uh, currently the uh, latest trend on facebook advertising or this that there's lot of ugc based video ads so instead of uh, you telling about the product they use a ugc based content mm-hmm. uh, and repackage that 
video as an ad or there is always like crowdsell on the website there is always like look book or those kind of uh, campaigns and uh, sometimes you have to like most of the times you have to take the permission sometimes uh, they are influencer who have been already like prepaid like they have been uh, like shared the samples uh, with so uh, like how far you should go with the promoting uh, ugc content or I is- think that I I I think that it really depends on what your objectives are with your business. What are okay. you trying to accomplish and will that content help you do that? Okay. If you have a choice between the owner of the company talking about a product yeah. or a customer, I would okay. vote for the customer every day. Yeah. Every day. Yeah. Because they're going to have more credibility. They're going yeah. as as lot now. I also think if you are going to share it, yeah, you have to make sure you watch the whole video. You have to make sure that it represents you the way that you want to be represented. Okay. Um, you know that is always the risk, whether yeah. you're using celebrities or whether you're using user generated content, that. They say or do something that is associated with your brand that you don't want associated with your brand. But yeah, I I would, if you get, you know, if if you run a contest and you tell people in the contest, we're going to use your responses in our advertising. Oh, heck yes. Yeah, 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 yeah. I'll um, give you a really good example. Um, we had an optometrist. He was opening up. He had a, a, an adult practice, and okay. he was opening a pediatric practice. Okay. And we ran a contest um, that had a really great prize okay. if you submitted a photograph of your child wearing glasses. Okay. okay. He got That's... hundreds of photos. And guess yeah. what? We had hundreds of images we could use in advertising for his yeah. practice. Okay. Okay. Yeah. 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 Um, yeah. Like, uh, uh, do you feel that there will be some point, uh, like it, there will be saturation, or people can you know, because uh, uh, just on this part because some brands are trying to hack this because they might not be real customers, they might be influencers or someone like uh, uh, some. I think studios are also providing those kind of real customer mm-hmm. shots or those kind of things. So, um, will the audience will be able to tell the difference or uh... well so the thing is that companies get away with it for a little while but if somebody figures it out it's really bad the the blowback against companies that hire an actor and don't say it's an actor um there is blowback there used to be on television if you hired someone, you had to say in fine print, yeah. this person is an actor, they're not really a doctor. Yeah. Social media took that away. You don't have to yeah. tell the truth, but you yeah. don't ever want to get caught. But okay. you know, one of the other interesting things, and they're not lying about it, they're being very upfront. There are social, there's a social media influencer, and she's not the only one. And she's got, I don't know, a million followers, two million followers. Yeah. She's not real. She's AI generated. You look at the photograph and you think, oh my God, that's a, a real teenage girl. And then yeah. you read, and in her bio, it says she's a robot living in California. 
Okay. And she's not kidding. She really is AI generated and she gets paid or her creators get paid thousands of dollars for yeah. her to promote a product because yeah. she has a following, because she's funny, and because she's controllable. You never have to worry. Yeah, well, well she, at least um, unless you're watching some Terminator film, you never yeah. have to worry that the robot is going to go off the rails. Yeah, yeah. Um, like there is a, uh, this is a little bit off topic, but uh, uh, because you mentioned this example, so uh, we were discussing about the limitation of AI. So um, currently the AI limitation was around the expert business model, or if you are like a, so AI is like at undergrade level or this level, but AI is not at PhD level or something uh, in the terms of expertise or in the terms of content uh, knowledge. So uh, if, and uh, the assumption was that people will not follow AI for advice, like they will need eventually real people, but like uh, it's happening in this case. So you think there is a lot of potential in that, like AI can become a big influencer or like big authority, like uh, uh, what I'm saying, like more AI can become an Oprah or like uh, uh, those kind of uh, celebrities which have authority and which have like expertise and uh, field knowledge. So. I think that there are limitations and, and part of it is part of what makes Oprah, I mean, she's an, she's a, an intelligent woman and maybe AI can replicate some of the insights, though I... I I have not yet seen examples. I've seen examples of repackaging and summarizing. I have not seen examples of independent thought. And that's yeah. what you go to a thought leader for. Yeah. Yeah. The yeah. other thing for someone like like Oprah, there is a personality element. There yeah. is there is a part of her that is the warmth and the charisma yeah. that at least right now, AI cannot replicate. They, they, you know, will they be able to someday? You know, I've seen a lot of things in my life, so I won't say never. But that, that piece, and with AI, yeah. you know, and this is years of reading science fiction and, and, and watching science fiction movies. Yeah. The one reason that humanity always comes out on top is the ability to think out of the box okay. and break all of the rules that yeah. we've written down you know yeah. it oh you always do it this way you always do it that way ai will always do it this way they'll yeah. always do it that way okay but i can look at it and go yeah i know we always do it this way but i'm not going to okay. and that's at least for now the human advantage okay so the repeatability or predictability will be the enemy, like will be the mm -hmm. like shortcoming. Mm -hmm. okay. Yeah. Okay. Okay. Well, so, you know, the other thing is, is okay, think about it. AI summarizes the internet to find yeah. their answers. Yeah. The more AI generated content that's out there, the yeah. more it circles in on itself. And the yeah. only way that you break the cycle is by creating something completely new creating a yeah. completely new conversation creating a completely new blog post and okay. putting that into the mix and yeah. ai can't do that yeah 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 no like makes sense makes sense and i think uh, that's a that's a shortcoming that's a shortcoming so uh, 
but uh, like they will get there like i don't know because uh, the way things are moving uh, maybe in next two years or three years uh, i don't know but uh, uh, it's still uh, it's not there yet like in that sense so coming back to the ugc piece so one uh, last piece was like uh, because uh, for some brands if you go aggressively on ugc so they are always afraid about uh, negative publicity or they are always afraid about the if something some customer will uh, like a bad mouth and it will go viral or those kind of things so they tend to hold themselves back and it has happened like it's not that the fear is uh, unfounded but uh, uh, what's your take and how sh- the brand should be able to tackle that like or handle any negative pr so you cannot control what customers say about you yeah. you know and um uh, a lot of brands are like well I, I don't want people putting reviews on my site because i don't i can't control it okay yeah. they won't put it on your site doesn't yeah. mean they won't put it out there yeah. You know, um, that was a thing There was a, for a while, companies wouldn't accept comments on their Facebook page. God, I don't want okay. somebody to say something negative. You know what? Yeah. They're just going to put it on their page and you have zero control. So grow a pair and um, respond. Recognize that negative feedback, bad reviews are a gift. Because okay. it is an opportunity for you to demonstrate how good you are. Okay. You're never going to win an argument uh, in public when somebody says you have a crappy product. Yeah. So don't argue. Simply respond with, I'm sorry you were disappointed. Not I'm sorry we screwed up. Not I'm sorry we did something wrong. Okay. I'm sorry you were disappointed. Let's okay. talk about how... Yeah. We can resolve this. Okay. And then invite the person to take the conversation offline. Okay. okay. What is left behind? Anybody else who comes along and sees that? What's okay. left behind is this, oh, okay. You know, they made a mistake, but yeah. they owned up and they handled it. Yeah. Now, yeah. if one out of every 10 of your reviews is bad, Okay, I'm looking at it as a customer going, I have a 90% chance of getting a good product. I have a 10% chance of having a problem, but you know what? They seem to be okay with reaching out. Now, if seven or eight out of 10 of your reviews are crappy, you got a bigger problem than seven or eight bad reviews. You, You have something wrong with your product. In your experience, like what's the effective marketing strategies you recommend for brands? Like uh, coming to the email marketing, because this uh, uh, we run an email marketing agency and uh, uh, about the email side of things. So uh, how, uh, like uh, what's the, uh, like there's two part to the question. One is uh, email uh, tend to be strategy, tend to be different for the scale of uh, the brand ad. So it tend to be like for a small business versus a, uh, the strategy will be different but uh, if we can break it up uh, from uh, like uh, for the starting out brand or like a small brand what's uh, your go-to strategy for email marketing and uh, we will also talk about like mid-size or seven-figure business so so number one 
I think that regardless of the size of the business, regardless of the industry that you're in, regardless of how long you've been in business, that there are marketing basics that apply. And the single biggest basic is knowing who your customer is and what it is they want. And so as you are creating email marketing strategies, as long as you never forget that and you always keep that in the front as you're creating your content, you have a good start. So for small businesses just starting out, you don't have a big email list. That's okay. Okay. Um, It is harder to build an email list today than it used to be because let's face it, we all, you know, 20 years ago when I started my company, I said, hey, I've got an email and everybody went, oh, that's cool, I'll sign up. People don't do that anymore. Yeah. So you do you do have to be more creative, create incentives. Nobody wakes up in the morning and says, you know what? I want to be on another email list. Yeah. 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 So you have to give them a reason. And so as you put a sign-up form on your website, you have to tell people what they're going to get. Okay. <coughs> Excuse me. <coughs> you have to tell them that... Perhaps they're going to get a weekly update with tips to do X, Y, or Z. Or maybe they trade the email. Give us your email and we'll give you this 10-page report. We'll give you this workbook. And regardless of the business you're in, you need to think about what do you know that your customers don't? And that's what you offer. So that's number one. Number two, when you start sending out emails, you need to watch your bounces. You need to watch your unsubscribes. You need to pay attention to your spam reports because that information will tell you, are, are the people I'm sending this to interested? Yeah, yeah. I have an email list that I started in 2002. Okay, so it's a long time I've had that list. And I've added to, and it's grown, and it's shrunk, and and I've cleaned it up. But there are people on that list who have been getting my email newsletters since 2002. And my open rate is still 35%. So even after all these years... And it's because when people get bored and stop opening it, I send them a note and I say, hey, do you still want to be on the list? And if they'd say no or if they don't respond, I take them off. It's okay. They weren't interested. You know, convincing yourself you have a business because you have an email list of 10,000 people with a 5% open rate, you don't. You have an email list of 500 people. Yeah. So... Get rid of your dead weight. Get rid of the people who aren't opening it. Get rid of the people. If the emails bounce, they're bad. Clean them up. A lot of email tools, you pay for the size of your list. So if you've got a lot of dead weight, you're paying for the dead weight. Okay, okay, okay. Okay, okay. And uh, uh, like uh, because... uh, uh, the like there is a lot of confusion like for small brands basically that uh, how you personalize at scale because email is a personalization channel and there is a lot of scope around the how you can 
personalize the structure because you can have one on one conversation like it can't be done on social media it can't be done on any other channel but with email you can have that one on one conversation so uh how you personalize the this thing so so first off if you have multiple collection points on your website okay create multiple lists so you know how somebody came to you you okay. know how you connected okay. and like for my business I would have a list of people who had downloaded something to do with web design or with logo design or content marketing. And then depending on what they were interested in, I would send them different content. Sometimes I sent everybody the same thing. And sometimes I would send different content. Um, I would send surveys periodically to my list and say, hey, Okay. Which of these topics are you interested in? And okay. I might spend an hour or two cleaning people up and moving them to okay. specific lists based okay. on their interests. Okay. And um, I also do something, it's called uh, Click to Join, where if you um, click on something in my email newsletter, maybe there are four articles. Okay. But there's two that are about web design. Okay. If you click on the web design links, I'm going to move you out of the general list and okay. into the web design list. Okay. okay. And so as much as possible. Okay. Um, and also over time, collect information about your, your, uh, your community. Okay. So... Um, I know uh, for a lot of these people, I know, you know, especially when I was running the agency, where did I meet them? How did I meet them? So I could do an email just for people who I met through Smaller Indiana or just for people who had taken one of my courses. And so the content is different. And it feels uh, more personal and more relevant. Uh, but the challenge we face with this strategy is that how you justify the ROI? Because uh, uh, if you are sending to few people, then would it make, uh, like uh, lower the impact or like uh, reduce the? Uh, because the effort remains the same. Like uh, you have to still draft the same email and this thing. Like uh, so, uh, uh, is there any like uh, fine balance between ROI and personalization, or it's like personalization is higher than ROI? Like how you balance these two? Well, so for example, um, this is where marketing automation comes in. Okay. If okay. you download something from my website, you'll get yeah. a series of emails based on what you downloaded. Yeah. Yeah. And you will. But I'm not writing those emails, they're already written. You're mm. new to my list. Okay. So. I've got some introductions, some links. Periodically, I'll go through and update them. But basically, what I rely on automation to create that initial personalization. Okay. When I do that, then I have an opportunity after a period of time to okay. send kind of the more general stuff. Okay. You're on a list where you're getting a certain kind of information. And then if you take one of my classes, if... Uh, Back in the day, if you asked me for a quote, guess what? You went on another list that was just targeted for that. So, yes, they are personalized, 
but they are personalized around avatars and around interests and around the flow of your business. So it's not like every time I did a proposal, I wrote a personal email. I didn't have to because everybody who got a proposal from me needed the same information. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But it felt personal. It wasn't over-designed. It didn't have a big banner. It just felt like they were getting a note from me. And the funniest thing was people would reply to it and they would reply in such a way that I knew they thought I had just dashed it off, kind of like had a, a they popped the in my head and I just dashed them off the thought. Yeah, so the yeah. key in making it personal is in, in okay. the writing. Okay, 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 okay. Okay, but, uh, uh, okay, so how to offset the, like the effort side of things is like uh, use automation so you don't have to put up labor and uh, it can be like uh, maximized returns. Okay, okay, okay. Uh, in terms of uh, this thing, like uh, uh, with the crowded inbox, uh, uh, so how you get that attention? Like, uh, so last on email is about uh, like, uh, because uh, people might be getting like more than 100 emails a day or more maybe. Mm -hmm. uh, so how you get that uh, uh, like a connection or get that uh, uh, like consistent opens or not opens, but just uh, it need to be effective, like consistently effective, which you have been I think, doing for last few years. When you encourage someone to sign up for your email list, you're yeah. making a promise about the kind of content you're going to deliver. Okay. And if you want people to open your email and continue to open your email, you have yeah. to live up to that promise. And um, in my experience, the vast, the vast number, the vast majority of, of email that I receive where I unsubscribe from the list, okay. it's because the person didn't, didn't live up to the promise. They, um, they sent it too often. They sent crappy emails. They were okay. too promotional. Um, they, didn't, they didn't fulfill okay. a need for me. They fulfilled a need for them. Okay. And um, you have to recognize that people will unsubscribe. That's part of the lifespan of a newsletter. Yeah. Invite people to unsubscribe. Okay. Encourage the people who are not really interested to get off your list. Okay. Because then you can really see okay. the people who are left. Okay. What are they responding to? What aren't they responding to? Okay. I will tell you that clicks have gone way down. It's I, I can still get the same number of people to open my email or the same percentage of people. But if it's not right in the email, it, it's much harder. And so um, your your call to actions have to be more compelling. Okay. And okay. the payoff has to be better. Okay. Okay. Okay, I think uh, uh, um, anything uh, you want to add to email side of things, like uh, uh, like there is a long argument about email is dead, but uh, um, anything okay. like what's your no? Take? There is, yeah. you know, there's the, um, the when they first opened up Facebook yeah. to yeah. Um, adults, there yeah. was a lot of conversation about the death of email. 
that yeah. email was dead, it was going to die. Yeah. And the reality is it ain't dead yet. And it isn't yeah. going to die anytime soon because it is still, texting is cool, posting on social media is fine, but yeah. email is a very specific type of communication and yeah. businesses are gonna to continue to rely on it. Okay, okay. Yeah. Okay, so there's uh, no, uh, and uh, uh, yeah, I think uh, uh, from a ROI perspective, it's still the highest ROI medium. So from that, mm -hmm. and I think the main part is about the personalization angle, like one-on-one -on -one conversation. Uh, and mm -hmm. uh, the cost doesn't increase uh, as you increase the base. Like uh, for Facebook, for every, like if you have to double your impressions, you have to pay like more than double, I guess, like for the mm -hmm. CPM, increasing CPM. But email, that's not the case. So the uh, mm -hmm. as more users you have, the ROI keeps on getting better and better. So uh, good, good, good. Next uh, on this is uh, as we want to discuss into like retention side of things. So uh, uh, like if you can walk us through because you have been into multiple businesses and are uh, doing consulting. So uh, what's your uh, like uh, take on how to convert users into uh, like loyal customers or uh, what's the journey has been or what's your framework which every business needs to hit like two, three points uh, to create visitors to loyal customers? So. Wow. Um, I think the challenge is that different businesses have very different funnels and you have to understand you have to understand the funnel you have to understand what i call the rhythm of your business okay. for example there are some businesses where customers are going to buy the product over and over again and yeah. you have a real opportunity to build not just a customer but a loyal customer a raving fan who then becomes your kind of referral partner and okay. that is a very different journey than a business where uh, it is something a customer buys once or twice okay. maybe in a lifetime and okay. you have to know what you want to accomplish when someone comes to your website for example, I worked a lot with home services professionals, so oh. flooring companies, heating and air conditioning companies. People don't remodel their house regularly. Yeah. You know, they yeah. may put down new flooring once in the yeah. 25 years they own their home. And yeah. so in those businesses, yeah. your very first call to action has to be schedule an appointment. Okay. If you've come to the website, schedule an appointment. Not yeah. ready to schedule? Here's some other cool stuff. Okay. Schedule okay. an appointment. Um, the yeah. businesses where, like the uh, the bean company, where somebody's going to buy yeah. a jar of beans over and over again, now yeah. you can take them on this journey of, here's how you use the product. Here's customers who love it. And okay. you can have a much more long-term conversation. So okay. the very first thing you need to do is you need to understand your funnel. Okay. What are the decision points? What information do people need along that journey and figure okay. out how you're going to deliver it to them? Okay, okay, okay. And... Uh, uh... Like uh, from a user perspective, how's uh, 
like supposedly for uh, a, like a, not a one time product like one time product i would say one uh, like for a services or, or like one time activity it would be best to get a referral out of them like uh, as a repeat mm-hmm. uh, but uh, apart from that uh, but for more consumable or like a consumable product uh, uh, it's uh, uh, what's the effort area like what i'm trying to get it is like uh, in the terms of retaining uh, is it more about the next purchase discount is it more about like uh, the benefit of the product or the benefit of the first purchase or is it more about the brand identity like uh, uh, how we get to that point where uh, like I brands think, can I, get to it so. i i think you have to ask your customers okay. why do they buy from you okay and that will help guide you. If your customers tell you over and over again, they buy from you because of your customer service, then as you're building stories about your brand and you're taking people on a journey to buy your product or service, you need to highlight your customer service. You need to personalize your customer service. We we had um, a heating and air conditioning contractor who had a great service business and he had people who who had him clean their furnace and air conditioner twice a year and had been doing this for years and years and years and when we asked them why why do you do it and they're like well because they just take care of us and oh i love i love talking to sharon twice a year i call her she calls me she checks in yeah. Well, we we put Sharon on their Facebook page. We did a little video about okay. Sharon and a little video about each of the the service techs. Now, in another business, it you know it was you know why do you keep buying this product? I can use it in so many different ways. I love that. Just when I think I know everything about it, well, then we started sharing stories of find out how our customers are using the product, see pictures of this or that. The other thing, and this is something that companies, I, I work with a theater festival and it absolutely makes me nuts. Okay. The two main people who come to their website are people who are buying tickets yeah. and volunteers signing up for their shifts. Okay. okay. And yeah. it is so hard to find where it's I have to up. go to yeah. sign up for my shift knowing who's coming to your website, why are they coming? And what is the most important thing they need? Not what you want them to see. And the best way to get to that is pull up a computer screen, put a customer in front of it, and watch them navigate your website. Okay. Don't say anything, just watch them. And when you see them getting frustrated, now you're like, okay, We've got this gap. We have something wrong that yeah. needs to be fixed. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Like uh, uh, the I think heuristic analysis, or like this is more under uh, like uh, uh, where you screen record this thing uh, for the user. Like uh, I because this is very interesting point about that why they are buying again. So uh, there was a quote like the people don't know that why someone their customer is their customer. I think this is. From, so why their customer is their customer and why uh, they didn't bought uh, from the competition but also why they are buying it again and I think that's also because when we work with brands uh, some brands have a clear understanding about their 
repeat patterns and why customers are buying again and maybe it's like a cosmetic or this thing but still uh, it's always so what's your recommendation like uh, co- conducting user customer interviews or like uh, group surveys or qu- qualitative quantitative like uh, how you approach uh, well, I, when it comes to market research uh, yeah. it really depends where you are in in the funnel Okay. If you're trying to get a big picture perspective, you you don't really know what you don't know, then okay. I think focus groups, mall intercepts, casual okay. conversations are great. Okay. If you're looking for precise, projectionable data that is going okay. to give you the confidence to say 70% of our users think this, then okay. you have to do a more formalized quantitative survey. Focus groups are great to get a lot of ideas, but you have to be very careful because if you have one strong personality in a focus group, it will bias the result. Yeah. You know, it, um, if the focus group isn't recruited correctly and you don't have the right demographics in the room, it's not going to give you the best response. It may give you some ideas that you want to check with a larger audience. And uh, mostly it comes from power users. So power users tend to be more like vocal about uh, uh, the direction Mm -hmm. they want the product to go in or like the service to go in. But uh, uh, it's like 1% of the audience, but more is about uh, like not mainly the, about the strong personality and not being the power user, like average user or like a, uh, like a more 90% of the audience. So, uh, well, and if you can get to them, figuring okay. out why people didn't buy again, Okay. depending on the product category that you're in, and, and it's okay. not always possible, but yeah. if you can identify people who bought your product once, yeah. and didn't buy it again, it's going to be painful. <laughs> you're going to hear a lot of things you don't want to hear, yeah. but you're going to hear things you need to hear. Okay, okay. So I have a little bit uh, on didn't buy because uh, when uh, doing on the website analysis or like uh, uh, website, uh, uh, like whenever we used to do conduct service, so the idea was that uh when you always conduct interviews with non-buyers they always come back about the price like it's not because they haven't voted or they haven't purchased so they always play on the price and uh if it's coming directly from the brand if some third party is doing it uh they might have different points but if it's coming from the brand directly they always uh like 50 percent of people will always talk about the price because they might see like feel that might influence or so it tend to skew the data a little bit because they are not the real customers. They have been abandoned. They have abandoned the website or this. If someone has voted with their money or like if they have someone has uh, bought the product, then their advice makes sense. Uh, uh, like based on that, that context, I'm just thinking that uh, for repeat buying, because they have bought once, so they are qualified uh, as such. Like mm-hmm. they are because they yeah. have gone through that journey and they have try to build that trust with the brand so absolutely and i think i think you're right um people will throw up price as an objection very often and yeah. so one of the you know one of the ways around it is you can ask questions like what do you think is a fair price for the product not that you ever intend to sell it at that price but 
if if the price if the product was priced at that at, at that price point, okay, would you buy it, okay. or did you buy something else? Yes, okay. I bought I bought this cosmetic instead yeah. of that one. Really, yeah. and what price did you pay for that? Okay. And so you can you can acknowledge you know okay. you can acknowledge yeah. the price um but at the same time you the can also point. move past it yeah the price point so yeah yeah i i mean because people always want to pay less well yeah. you know what though though they don't you know yeah. they say they do but then if you do studies where you you have three products and yeah. you have a two dollar a three dollar and a four dollar product yeah. They won't buy the two dollar because they think yeah. it's too cheap. There must be yeah. something wrong. Yeah. And yeah. then how do you move them between the three and the four? It has a lot to do with the proximity of the other two pricing. In other words, if it's two, four, and five, yeah. or two, four fifty and five, yeah. you know what? A lot of people will buy the five. Yeah. Because they, it's like, well, it's not that much more than the four fifty. Yeah. But if you do two, three, and five, yeah. everybody buys the three. Right. So, so yeah. yeah. So price. Um, I mean, pricing is a science, and yeah. it is. Um, I think it's one of the more interesting elements in marketing because yeah. it really connects with the psychology of how we assign value to something. Yeah. 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 And uh, it says small win, like also the pricing, because if you can get the pricing right, uh, it instantly improves your margins. And like uh, there's a lot of things which pricing can. And uh, most of the brands are too afraid to touch pricing. Like they want to keep the pricing like it's a uh, uh, like like it's a non-discussed. Uh, it's an anathema sort of like it's a, uh, that let don't touch the pricing sort of a way. So they don't want to because either it seems too risky or they feel that uh, the customer will feel they are not being genuine if they keep on changing the pricing. So, uh, but uh, price test tends to be very profitable and it's a very high value activity, like if they can get it right. And um, I just wanted to share one, uh, this thing about pricing that uh, uh, the recently concluded like Black Friday and this season is always good for introducing new pricing because you will be always discounting. So you will be uh, uh, discounting as it is. So nobody will pay the full price. So it's best to roll out new price and discount on that instead of uh, moving along with the old price. So, so but uh, there is a lot of things which brand can do around pricing. And uh, I think it's underused. It's uh, highly underused. Well, and I, um, uh, there are a lot of case studies where um, uh, I think it was might have been Wolf Schmidt Vodka where they actually um, took a look at the market and realized in the United States people didn't really know a lot about vodka. I mean, they drank it, but they didn't. They did not really. The average consumer did not know the difference between a good vodka and a mediocre vodka, okay. and so for a lot of them the signal that this was a good vodka was that was it was price. higher priced. Okay. And so they pulled the product off the market, reintroduced it, introduced it at a higher price yeah. and sold more. Yeah. Sold yeah. more. Yeah. Because yeah. 
because the price communicated this was a good vodka. Yeah. So, you know, this, oh my God, we, we, we have to discount. Uh, discounting put my favorite store out of business. They got into this situation where it was always, you know, the, the product the product would come in and they'd have an inflated high price. And then yeah. within six weeks, it was always 40% off. Yeah. Well, it got to where people, they relied on it so often, nobody bought it full price. Yeah. yeah. They always waited for the discount. So yeah. you can discount yourself to death. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And it loses the impact. Like more than 30%, we would recommend like uh, in our experience, uh, it is start diluting the brand value. Like uh, 10% mm -hmm. is uh, these, uh, like a uh, uh, starting point and like 30 is the max. I like uh, anything more than 30, you start questioning the quality, you start questioning the like the price, uh, the whole logic around it because uh, it mm -hmm. seems like uh, uh, like too good to be true or is there something fishy going around like it's uh, not uh, this thing so yeah. yeah i mean because your price communicates a lot about the quality of your product you, it communicates yeah. um are you going to stand behind it is there yeah. is there enough margin that you're going to be able to support me if i buy this product and i think yes there are consumers for whom the lowest price is always going to get them yeah. and for brands and for businesses, serving yeah. the needs of that customer is a race to the death. It's a yeah. death spiral yeah. because no matter how low you go, someone else will always go yeah. lower. And price, prices, good pricing, smart pricing is a differentiator. Trying yeah. to be the low cost provider unless you really are. Yeah. yeah. It's very. And, you know. It's dangerous and it's also dangerous because you have, you may have something, a product that you can make at a really low price yeah. and you're going to control the market because you've got yeah. it at a low price. Yeah. And I'm over here and I'm a much bigger company. And yeah. you know what? I can't really make that product at that price, Yeah. but I don't have to because I yeah. got 10 other products that I can charge a high price for and I can take yeah. my price on that product lower yeah. than you and drive yeah. you out of business. Yeah. Yeah, like, uh, yeah, so there has been a lot of uh, case studies around it, like, uh, and it's a common tactic, like, it's a very common tactic where uh, brands uh, try to, and there was uh, this, uh, uh, like, uh, I think diapers.com or like some, which they used to, like, there was a price war between diapers, and they lowered the price to diaper, like, less than a dollar or something, and they were making money on other guys, uh, like, uh, high ticket toys and this, like, other mm -hmm. baby products, but... Uh, they were taking a big hit on diaper and it was always the get foot in the door kind of a product offer. So, so that's uh, this thing. And uh, uh, around the lifetime value, like just uh, along with retention. So retention is more about uh, understanding why people are buying what they are buying and why they are repeat buying the whole uh, product. But uh, about uh, how you maximize the lifetime value in the terms of keeping the relation and also uh, like keeping them for the long duration so so part of it is figuring out what the lifetime value is and yeah. um, looking at it in terms of over their lifetime how much will they buy okay. and also how much if they are a loyal customer and they refer what are their what are their referrals worth okay. and when you understand that number, now you can begin to say, okay, well, how much can we afford 
to spend to keep a customer? What kind of incentives? And one of my favorite examples, and, and I think he wrote a book. I think the book is called Customers for Life. He was he owned an, a car dealership in Texas, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. and he had the biggest Cadillac dealership in Texas, which is saying something. Mm-hmm. And he figured out that at that time, his customers would buy a Cadillac every or buy a new car every three years. Okay. And so when he looked at a customer, he didn't see a, at the time, $10,000. He saw 100000 or $200,000 because of all the purchases they would make. So when they came into his shop and they said, you know, this isn't working right. And Mm -hmm. his service tech was like, oh, well, that's going to be $50 to fix it. And the customer got mad because they thought it should be included. He's like, give it to him. And the service guys, we're going to go bankrupt if we give away all that service. He says, we're going to go bankrupt if we don't. Because the customer is paying this premium yeah. price, yeah. don't argue with them over the small things. Yeah, you'll yeah. lose them. You know, yeah. I. And so a lot of car dealerships adopted this model, particularly in the first few years that you owned a car. Yeah. The tune-ups yeah. were free. Yeah, yeah. Because yeah. they were subsidizing future sales. Yeah. So. What's important to your customer? What do they need to keep buying? How do you make it easier for them in the long run? What rewards? The airlines did this, though they're getting harder, but airline miles. Yeah. You know, why why do the airlines have miles? Because I live, I I fly United because they, I have a credit card with United. They fly out of my city. Yeah. Yeah, I could fly down to Texas on Southwest, but if I fly on yeah. United, yeah, I can use my miles. Yeah. I can get yeah. more miles. Yeah. 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 Okay. Okay. And so uh, loyalty program comes and like understanding the whole thing and like structuring your customer journey along that uh, like the holistic picture. So um, that makes a lot of sense. And I think uh, uh, for customer lifetime value. Uh, like uh, because uh, there is always uh, like how much you can get and there is a very interesting part about the referral piece uh, like how much you can leverage the customer to get more customer and uh, back to our user generated content also that there is always there is also some uh, like attribution to that user generated content also so uh, if we consider that Absolutely. also in the picture uh, then a single customer and uh, in the terms of brand building so uh, how much brand plays into retention? Like, uh, because there is a concept like Nike or Apple. So uh, it's about the product, but it's also about uh, uh, how, and it's tough for small brands or like even for services company and all those things. But uh, uh, yeah, so how someone like a small business should take a brand and uh, uh, how much role it plays in retention. So. So your brand is what people say about you when you're not in the room. Okay. And I think that you need to figure out what you want people to say and then figure out how you create marketing to get them to say that. Yes, Nike, people are loyal to Nike. Yes, some of it is marketing and some of it is they make a good product. Yeah. Yeah. So, you know, the brand supports the product. Um, 
Coke and Pepsi are funny because Coke actually lost taste tests to Pepsi. Yeah. Yeah, they, I mean, in blind taste tests, people yeah. actually like the taste of Pepsi better. Yeah. Yeah. But they still reach for a Coke because they have that loyalty, that good feeling, those happy memories. Yeah. That's hard to build as a small business. But if you figure out what you want to be known for. Okay. And okay. that, uh, so for example, we when I ran an agency and we were a small company, I had eight to 10 people working for me. This was not a big company, but everybody in the city knew us and they knew us for a couple of things. They knew that we were about educating our customers, about teaching and talking about marketing in plain English. And so the reputation was you know, if you don't understand something about marketing, take one of Lorraine's courses, read one of, read some of the books, read the blog, um, hire them just to look at some things that you're working on. And everything we did was designed to support that, that perception. And it was very much what I wanted to be known for. And the other thing we wanted to be known for was being customer focused. And oh. how we lived that okay. was when you called that building, the phone okay. was answered by a live person on okay. the first ring. During okay. office hours, we had no voicemail, no call center. Okay. And it surprised people. And it surprised people because I would answer the phone, even as the owner. And yeah. they were like, Lorraine, is that you? Yeah. yeah. What can yeah. I do for you? Yeah. And... That was our brand, and that was very deliberate. So if you know what you want to be known for, oh, we want to be known for the highest quality, well, then you damn well better build the highest quality. Yeah. You want to be known for fast delivery, you better be fast. Okay, okay. You're not going to build brand loyalty. You're not going to build a brand. Loyalty comes, you build your brand, yeah. By living a certain value. Yeah. Loyalty comes when that value is relevant to your customers. So you may want to be known for your expertise, but if your customers don't care, it doesn't matter. <laughs> I mean, yeah, yeah, yeah. you know, um, it, I knew that I wanted to be known for kind of marketing as a marketing educator. Yeah. If people didn't want to learn about marketing, you know what? <laughs> I'd have had no loyalty. Yeah, yeah. It wouldn't have mattered. Yeah, 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 yeah. So I think uh, uh, because uh, what you're saying, because for most of the small businesses, it's they like a brand is an extension of the founder. So it's like an extension of founder. And uh, it's not uh, uh, that much deliberate. uh, But uh, like uh, what uh, this understanding has been that uh, it's more like reverse engineered from what they care about and how would you want to know be known for and then you combine both of them so it's a a little bit reverse engineer but little bit uh, i think uh, more authentic and being more this thing but uh, it needs to matter like uh, that's the i think uh, it's uh, because uh, even if you are authentic but it doesn't matter to the customer then it's uh, Uh, Yeah, yeah, yeah. But it was really interesting because it also has to matter to your employees. And we did an exercise, and I guess I'd been in business about eight or nine years at the time, and I asked 
my team, if they could describe the company in three words, what would the three words be? And two of the three, I was like, yeah, that's that. And the third one, I was like, really? You think that's us? And they were like, yeah, it really is. And it wasn't bad. It was just Different. different than how I would have positioned it. And being open to listening to your employees about the business yeah. that you are creating together. Yeah. You know, yeah. uh, we would never have grown, established the reputation. Uh, I built the company to a point that somebody came along and said, I would like to buy it. And I was like, okay, let's talk about how much you want to pay for it. Yeah. And that would never have happened if I hadn't listened to my employees who had a different perspective and could see it objectively sometimes when I couldn't. Yeah, 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 yeah. Yeah, I think, uh, and that's uh, like, uh, especially for every business, I would say like uh, the how the brand employs prospect, uh, but especially for the service industry and like for service business, because you are eventually leveraging their time and their expertise. So then uh, they need to be on the same uh, level, I think, like in the terms of same understanding and same kind of uh, uh, how they want also to be perceived in the industry. So, so that's also there. And uh, in the terms of uh, uh, with this, uh, like uh, what we known for, like if we extend this uh, in 2024. So, uh, what kind of uh, like uh, is there any room for this thing? Because in the terms of mind space. There is always like a limitation or always you have to like find new blue oceans or like blue versus red. Like you need to always keep on um, like shifting. So is there any space or is there always space for a different personality or different brand? So some mind space are taken. I, yeah, yeah. I, I, I understand the question. I'm trying to think how to phrase this. Sometimes no. So, uh, you know, I, I call it, um, selling broccoli. Okay. And if you think about a child and you, uh, try to give them a vegetable, broccoli, spinach, okay. they may not like it. It yeah. may be good for them, Yeah. but they don't want to eat it. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. You may have a product or a service that you think is a great idea, that you see a real need for. Okay. But the market thinks it's broccoli. Um, when I left corporate, one of the things that I was really good at in corporate America was going into broken teams and figuring out what was broken, why it wasn't working, and then reorganizing it and getting getting the team working together and creating a high performance team and it was a real skill set and people that i worked with and hr directors were like you're really good at this you really understand how to do this and i thought okay i'll go out on my own i can teach other managers how to do this the problem is that was broccoli it was 2002 and there were way more jobs than people. I'm sorry, there were way more people than jobs. Yeah. And companies were like, you know what? You don't like it? Go away. We'll find new people. Yeah. And pay to create a high performance team? Who cares? Yeah. There's always more people. And okay. so 
there are times that you've got something you want to sell that you're really excited about. Yeah. Yeah. And sell it in a way that you want to sell it that the market doesn't want. And that's why you have to start with the customer. What do they want? And now, how do I deliver that in a way that's true to me? And maybe it doesn't line up. And if it doesn't line up, you don't have a business. Okay. 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 I, I know that sounds, uh-huh. I, it, it's not what people want to hear, but I, but I, I want to do this and it's my passion. Good. It's a hobby. It yeah. ain't, it's not a business. A yeah. business starts with the customer yeah. and your passion fills yeah. their yeah. need. Yeah. It yeah. doesn't start with you. Yeah. Okay. Okay. So coming back to, uh, so there is always need. And if there is a demand, then, uh, your product will fit with that. Like it's uh, mm-hmm. if your uh, expertise has a like a requirement, then uh, there is always opportunity. Like there is always uh, that uh, need needs to be there, and the positioning is open. Like a positioning can be done in that niche. Uh, mm-hmm. Okay, okay, that makes sense. And uh, in terms of uh, uh, this thing uh, about uh, like uh, uh, because uh, in your experience has been about the website and the uh, like uh, in the terms of marketing the website and the need for the website and uh, how you channel with the social media platform and uh, there was a common debate and most people don't get that like uh, they might have a huge following on youtube or insta but they might not have a good or great uh, website game so what's your take and what's uh, the best uh, solution for those kind of creators or like so The one thing that I have seen with digital platforms over the years is they come and go and the rules change. You know, the algorithm changes. What's acceptable today is not acceptable tomorrow. Now you need to advertise to get visibility. The only place you control your message, your content and everything is your website. And so before you worry about any of the rest of that, you have to have a good home. Once you have that, then you can begin to distribute content widely, widely. Okay. But it has to start with your website. I mean, it's just that simple. Okay. Okay. So it's more for long-term play and uh, uh, mm-hmm. from a more stable, this thing, uh, like a for yep. uh, stable home. And uh, uh, in this, uh, like uh, now, I think uh, in the last uh, part, uh, so uh, we have to talk about AI. So uh, so AI, like we discussed, uh, touched upon this in the middle also, but uh, uh, it has created a major disruption this year. So uh, mm-hmm. how much you feel like shortcomings, we discussed some part of it, but if you f- see any other shortcomings in AI model or as of now, what's the implementation? And uh, what's the good part and how you use it uh, if you use it as it is like at the current state? So So AI, when used correctly, is a huge time saver. So, Mm -hmm. for example, I will take the transcript of my podcast and I will give it to AI and ask it to write a three paragraph summary. And because I've used it over and over again, I have my description down, my instructions down. I want it casual but informative, not too cheesy, not too salesy. And I just paste that in. I paste the transcript. And in seconds, I have a summary. Mm -hmm. 
Yeah. I have taken blog posts that I have written and okay. I have given it to AI and say, turn this blog post into 10, five bullet points, oh, 10 okay. bullet points okay. um, into headlines I can use for social media. And okay. so when I take my content and I give it to AI, yeah. it, it's really helpful. I have taken articles that I have written and I've asked mm -hmm. it to maybe rewrite it, give me a new introduction, give me a, a different spin. I'm less happy with that because okay. it's pulling yeah. from the internet and so much of the internet is salesy and pushy. Yeah. And so the stuff that comes back just doesn't feel like me. And so I struggle with that. Okay. I have seen some really interesting work with AI when I want to learn about a new topic. Maybe yep. I'm going to write an article. Maybe I've been hot, like, because, again, I do content for other companies. So I might say, okay, I'm going to write web copy for a company that sells filtration tools for manufacturing. I don't know anything okay. about that. What yeah. questions should I ask? Okay. And it will okay. give me a list of 10 questions. Now okay. I can go and I can ask my client. They yeah. can answer those questions. Now I have the answers. Yeah. Now I can go back to AI and say, turn this answer into okay. a blog post. Okay. So okay. it is a collaborative effort. And I think AI is at its best when you're using it for collaboration. Okay, okay, okay. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So to summarize more around the research side of things, uh, not on the original thought, but more like uh, the broad bullet points in the topic or like uh, from a research perspective, and then more about the repurpose, like uh, not the mm -hmm. original thought, but if someone has the original thought, then AI will be able to repurpose the content and uh, turn it around or like uh, make it in different formats. So I think that's the absolutely. Uh, so, so original idea, I, I do agree, like uh, original idea is still the limitation. And uh, uh, but what's the trend like uh, next two years? What's your prediction? Like, uh, it's very tough, but still, uh, I, I, th I think you're going to see I think you're going to see refinement in the AI tools. Right okay. now, everybody, oh, not everybody, a lot of people are using the yeah. free versions of ChatGPT. Yeah. And they think that that's what AI is, but that's really just the tip of the iceberg. Okay. I think you're going to see more refinement in video and in photography. And um, I also think you're going to see the, um, the backlash where uh, people are going to push back and... Oh. Um, for example, there was an attorney who used AI to uh, write uh, some kind of case brief, and okay. it cited two cases that weren't real. Yeah. And yeah. he just so happened to have a judge who was an expert in that particular kind of case law. Yeah, and the guy lost his job. I mean, he, he just, he, he lost his job, yeah. and, and rightfully so. Um, yeah. I um, I teach marketing at a university, and yeah. um, I did an assignment, and I read a number of the papers, and it was yeah. so obvious to me What's that they'd been you? written 
by AI. And I just, I did not tell the students that I thought they had used ChatGPT. All I said is, this reads as if it was written by AI. It's superficial, badly written, and it doesn't answer my question. And they all failed that assignment because, because it didn't, because there was a a subtlety to the question that AI didn't get. Yeah. And so I think you're going to see it as a as a professor. We have lots of discussions on campus about how how to use it, how to teach it to the students and also how to um, control it so that it doesn't get out of hand. Okay. Yeah, like uh, yeah, so there's a lot of uh, uh, discussion around controlling also and mm-hmm. uh, control is definitely but uh, before the control because currently it's being so uh, like it get caught like in your case so it's uh, not at that scale where we need to worry about the control but there is always a question about the control and how far it can go mm-hmm. in the terms of real person but uh, uh, currently it's not there in the terms of in person uh, impersonating a real person so i think that's uh, still uh, ai will get caught so Okay. 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 So that's, uh, thank you. Thank you so much for your time. And uh, this was really useful just to add for our uh, listeners that uh, you can look, uh, if you are looking for some advice and you want a private uh, working session with Lauren to get feedback on your marketing, you can head over to more than a few words.com slash office hours is office dash hours. And uh, you can f- discuss with her, like uh, we have discussed over here, like about email, uh, social media, uh, content, PPC, SEO, email, uh, the whole uh, as a virtual CMO. And uh, uh, yeah, uh, so that's uh, been really insightful for us. And uh, I hope this was insightful. So any, you want to add? No, I think I think that's great. Thank you so much for the invitation. It's been a lovely conversation.